Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to The Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name is Dan and I'm joined by... I'm Lawrence, welcome to the podcast. Long time no speak in terms of the podcast, so um, so today we are talking about a game that does not appear on the Metacritic Top 100 list. Um, when we do these themed episodes, um, we usually do one at christmas and one at halloween um we try to pull from the list but as we're getting towards the end um it's becoming more and more difficult because there just aren't that many games that fit the bill um so what we decided to do this time was to look at silent hill 2 a game that many many um gamers would think would be on the list and a game that many gamers would say is one of the greatest games of all time. So actually, I think it's quite appropriate that we're going to be discussing this game today. Um, so if you were to have a guess, I don't know if you've looked this up, um, what would you guess would be the meta score for this game? Uh, I've not looked it up, no. Um, but I do know that this game is very widely loved. So I'd say... Um, what what the what what kind of meta scores have the top ten got in the list? I can't remember. Is that ninety sevens and ninety eights? Yeah. So you've got and the I lower scores it's... are about ninety three, aren't they? Yeah, it goes down to ninety three. Um, um, Ocarina's ninety nine. I would say if I know that it's not on the list, I don't know how close it is to being in the top one hundred. So I reckon about eighty seven. Oh, that's not too far off. Um, this game scored a meta score, an average score of 89. Ooh. Um, so it misses the list by maybe three or four points. And yeah, I think discourse around this game has been very, very positive since its release in the year 2001 on the PlayStation 2. Um, and well, and, and funnily be, enough, we, we decided to do this game, didn't we? And then um, they've, they've announced it's being remade. Yeah, yeah. So appropriate timing there. Um, We're just out here setting trends. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what the remake turns out like. I know there's another bunch of Silent Hill games they've also announced. So yeah, good timing. Um, Although not good timing for Halloween, but there you go. Um, Do you have any history with this game? No, I've, um, I've, I've got somewhat kind of a history with Silent Hill. Um, the first game on the PS1 I played a couple of times but I never really got very far and then when we were at university um, I think I, well, I've, I've got the um, the digital version for the PS1 on my PlayStation 3 and I remember you played through it um, yeah. on, my, on my PS3 when we were at university but other than that. that I don't have any history with this game I know that Silent Hill 2 is considered kind of royalty in terms of its fans and I know that there are a few different endings, and I also knew about the the dog ending um, before recording. But other than that, I'd never played it before. I didn't know too much about it, other than Pyramid Head was in it, and it was based in Silent Hill, much like the first game. But that's about it. What about you? Yeah, so I remember, as you mentioned, um, playing Silent Hill 1 
in your uh, bedroom of our shared house and there were also other people up there I'm sure they were very happy to sit there watching me complete Silent Hill 1 and with its fantastic graphics <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean uh, Silent Hill 1 another much loved game probably not too far from the list itself um, but we decided to go for the Silent Hill 2 route so yeah for me I have um, completed Silent Hill 1, 2, 3, 4, The Room. Um, I've played Homecoming. I've not played Downpour. Um, and I dabbled with PT with you. Yeah. Um, and, and that's... Uh, you didn't mention PT, actually, so um, I don't know if you want to elaborate on PT. Yeah. Um, did, did, you, did you play that in mind when I lived in Essex on my PS4? Yeah, so yeah. I came to stay over, and um, yeah, we we were messing around with PT. And mm. I think um, with, with with PT, a lot of people know what it is, but it came out I think in twenty fifteen or twenty fourteen, um, and PT stands for Playable Teaser, and it was it was put together by Hideo Kojima of Metal Gear fame and Guillermo De- Guillermo del Toro, sorry. Um, the film director, who made films like... Uh, did he make Labyrinth? He made Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth and that something water, a body of water or something. Um, but he, he's a very odd... Devil's Backbone. It's a great film. He, he's a very odd director. He's got a very specific style. Um, and they, they teamed up and made a game called PT, which is probably about an hour-long demo, depending how you play it, which I think arguably is one of the scariest games I've ever played. It really bothered me. Um, <laughs> it, it's a weird one. And Can you elaborate it, on that? Just out of curiosity. So in what way do you think it affected you? I, Just because it's a horror episode. It's, it's a Halloween yeah, episode. And this is very different from our Halloween episode last time because we did Resident Evil, didn't we? Which is a bit of a different Code kind Veronica. of horror um, yeah. vibe. And then Resi 4 the year before that. So, I think the the scary thing with PT for me, things that scare me are faces, um, which sounds a bit weird, but that's something that creeps me out. So, when I was young, watching Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, seeing Voldemort's weird little snake face on the back of Quirrell's head freaked me out. Watching the woman in black, that didn't really freak me out too much until the end where it does a little bit of a close-up on her face. And there is a ghost in PT called Lisa, and she appears at various points. And if um, if you die in, in the game, she will rush you and basically break your neck and you get a full-on close-up of, of her. But there's just something very unsettling about PT. It's very, I don't know, it keeps you on edge because you've got absolutely no idea what you're doing. Like in, um, I don't know... Uh, thinking of a horror game in Resident Evil 4 you're going through a town and there are you know infected locals uh, trying to kill you with this game you can never really quite work out what's going on and there's this weird radio and there's like this fetus in the sink that's alive Uh, it's just it's just bizarre and it's very creepy Um, and it took the gaming community a long time to kind of work out how to get through it because it was very very cryptic 
Um, and unfortunately, PT is no longer available. You can't download it anymore. And I know a lot of people sold their PS4 consoles with PT on for quite a lot of money. Um, stupidly, I, I deleted it off my PS4. Um, but I, I sold my PS4 anyway, so it doesn't make much difference. But at the end of the game, uh, you make it out of the house, which is this repetitive cycle. Um, you get a close-up of Norman Reedus, who you uh, realise is who you've been playing as. This was before Death Stranding was ever a thing. And a title comes up saying Silent Hills. So it's very much believed that Kojima and Del Toro, through Konami, were working on a Silent Hill game. Um, but then there was the huge breakup between Konami and Kojima. Uh, Kojima went off to form... Uh, Kojima Productions and Silent Hill has is, is stayed as a, a property of Konami so nothing ever came of it unfortunately but I think that would have been a really really good and very creepy game yeah definitely a lot of promise there mm. to say the least yeah um, yeah. so, I, so I've so i got quite a bit of history with the Silent Hill games I'm by no means um, a super fan or anything like that but um, I've completed quite a lot of them Silent Hill 2 of the games that I've played as I said I've not played downpour and i've not completed homecoming um is my favorite so uh interesting episode ahead really um what what version did you play of silent hill 2 and i know to fans of silent hill 2 this is going to be an interesting question so yeah um go ahead and tell us so yeah i i didn't didn't have the ps2 version so i got the ease, the most easily accessible version which was the hd collection on the xbox 360 um, I know that there's a version on the PS3 as well, but I've heard that one isn't very well regarded. Um, so playing through this one was the Xbox 360 version. I know that it isn't considered as good as the original. Um, the, the, the PS2 version is always considered the, the best version to play uh, for a number of reasons. But just for ease of accessibility, I went for the Xbox 360 version, which I played on my Series X. What about you? Yeah. I used to have a copy of the PS2 version, um, but I sold it somewhere along the way and I looked to repurchase the PS2 version and I think it was going to cost upwards of 50 quid. Um, so that game, when I bought it years ago, was nowhere near that price. So it's really gone up in value since then. The PS2 version is widely considered to be yeah, the best version of Silent Hill 2 and followed by the PC version, um, followed by the PS3 version, funnily enough, because there was a patch that the PS3 version got that the 360 version did not get, um, that in, in improved performance and things like that. And then finally, um, the worst version of the bunch, the, the version that we played due to, as you say, being easily accessible, um, was the Xbox 360 version via the Series X. Um, so yeah, this is not a game that is too readily available to modern players and the fact that the best version is the original version from 2001 it's it says a lot about the efforts that have gone into um, porting this game over time and I know it's a real topic for um, fans of Silent Hill 2 um, one of the things that really bothered me about the 360 version is when you're running around outside the fog um, it's kind of like this straight line of fog in front of you that just moves as you move forward. It just moves in a straight line further back, whereas the fog in the original game was this kind of engulfing fog that 
um, really didn't behave um, well, behaved like fog rather than behaving like some sort of screen that's moving back as you're moving back. Um, that's one of the complaints that people have. The fact that they introduced new voices, um, yeah. which you don't have to, to listen to, um, but it just seemed unnecessary at the time. And they included the original voices in the end, so I, of course, opted for the original voices. Um, I went for the newer one because I didn't know any better. Okay. Um, how was the how are the new voices for you? It was alright. I, I mean, I've I've got nothing to, I've got nothing to no, compare no. it against. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure. I mean, the voice acting was fine. It it basically just felt like the voice acting of a Japanese game that had been ported over to America. It wasn't amazing and it was a little bit cheesy, but it was alright. So an interesting thing about the voice acting, maybe we're jumping ahead here, um, is that a lot of fans of Silent Hill 2 so there is a, a sort of unnatural delivery to the voice acting yeah. of the original voice cast this is what uh, in I read. this game yeah and and normally in games you'd think that that was just due to either bad voice acting or bad voice direction but here um, it's noted that the characters that are normal um, that I use that word begrudgingly um, because there's a lot of discussions about mental health in this game and obviously normal is not a thing but the flashbacks to um, to James's wife um, Mary she is speaking quite normally but James um, Angela Eddie they all speak in this very strange way and the idea is that because their mental health is not great and they're quite they're each suffering from different um, Conditions. Symptoms. Yeah, yeah, conditions of mental health. Um, their voice work reflects that. So I think that's quite an interesting touch, and it's a reason why um, fans of the game really strongly promote that original voice track, because mm. everything... One thing I will say about Silent Hill 2 is that it's a very curated experience. Everything seems deliberate. Yeah. Um, every single aspect of the game, even today, feels very deliberate. Um, and and that's that's nice, because games often don't have that luxury so yeah it's going a bit off topic but um let, let's pull it back so do you want to give us a rundown of the plot of this game yeah it's it's um it's, it's about when I, when I started playing this i thought that the um the protagonist was the same protagonist from silent hill one harry mason um but but it's not um, it's he plays a character called James Sunderland who has received a message, a letter from his uh, his wife, saying that um, she wants to meet him in a place that's very special to them, which is Silent Hill. But the uh, the crux of that is the fact that his wife died three years ago um, from from an illness. So James doesn't really have anything else going on in his life. So he decides to follow it up. Uh, he travels back to Silent Hill. And the the plot of the game, effectively, is, is James trying to track down his wife and trying to work out what the hell's going on. Why is he receiving messages from his wife who's been dead for three years? Um, and as you've said, there is a strong theme throughout the game of people who aren't fully there in terms of whether you'd call it their mental health or whether they're just in a completely different plane 
themselves because you come across different characters in this game. You come across a woman called Angela, um, a guy called a, a guy called Eddie. Um, you've got the what's the little girl called as well? Laura. Um, Laura, uh, and, and and then Maria. And each of those characters see see Silent Hill entirely differently. Um, for example, Angela, who is now uh, to be fair, we should probably put some form of trigger warning on this because it's like it's deep stuff, isn't it? Um, yeah. So trigger warning for vague conversations of, of sexual abuse. Um, but Angela's character sees Silent Hill as completely on fire. Um, you meet her at the start of the game, and she's she's in a graveyard and warns James that there's something off about where he's heading. Uh, you find out later in the game that Angela's actually murdered her father uh, because he sexually abused her, and she can't kind of live with the the memory of that. And as the game progresses, um, she she eventually commits suicide. Um, and you know Eddie is the same. He he killed um, killed a guy's dog because he was getting bullied um, quite heavily. And um, yeah, there's just a lot going on in this game and it's not for someone that's looking for something bright and breezy. Um, I think it's implied that she commits suicide rather than you actually see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's a strong implication. Um, And as the game progresses, you know, you're trying to find your wife and James meets this woman called Maria who has a very eerie kind of resemblance to his wife Mary um, except she she's a bit more um, what's the word I'm looking for boisterous I suppose she's a bit more forward uh, she dresses 30. a bit more provocatively um, yeah. and as the game progresses you know Maria dies about four times um, <laughs> to, the, to the pyramid heads which are you know one of the most memorable villains I think in gaming well not memorable but a lot of people know what the pyramid heads are yeah um, and as the game concludes, you know, you, you come up with... Um, there's no one canonical ending to this game. Um, there are kind of two or three which are considered the normal ones. And then you've got, I think, two that are kind of like the jokey endings. Um, but yeah, it, it depends how you play the game, what ending you get. But it's it's effectively about James's, um, James's journey through Silent Hill and also his journey through dealing with his own demons uh i don't really know how, how i don't know how else sorry to explain it it's a very unique game is is what i'd say yeah and an interesting departure from silent hill 1 which i know that some fans of silent hill 1 are not fond of is that within silent hill 1 the world is influenced by Alessa and her thoughts and her negative feelings and the monsters all spawned from that. Yeah. Um, whereas in Silent Hill 2, as you said, each of the characters view the world uh, and differently and the monsters relate to their own psyches and that kind of retcons what was um, what was what, what the plot of um, Silent Hill 1 was. And then they kind of revert back to it in Silent Hill 3. So it's confusing. And I think this game is best taken if you don't think too much about that stuff. Mm. Um, And you just take Silent Hill 2 as its own sort of thing. Its own entry in the series. um, Quite detached from the other entries. Um, And 
as you say, so eventually, spoilers, um, James finds out that that Mary died a lot more recently than um, than he thought, and Mary had struck up this relationship with Laura, and she was planning to adopt her, and it eventually turns out that James actually killed Mary himself. Um, and then there are the various endings that you, you mentioned as well. So yeah, it's... it's <laughs> it's a dark story it's not for the faint of hearts and i mean some of the stuff that you were saying there it gives it kind of sends shivers up my spine um like the stuff with angela i think that is so 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 well done um and again suggested without being over um illustrative of what happened and also handling it very delicately and sensibly and not um yeah insensitively which i mean so many mediums have handled mental health insensitively and this is not one of those games another game that we played celeste was um excellent i thought in its handling of mental health but i would put silent hill 2 on par with that game in terms of the way that it handles and treats um as you say you might not call it mental health it could be the psychology of the characters um or uh, another definition that you want to give it, but yes, it's it's um, yeah, uh, well, it's me- heavy me- stuff. Yeah, me- me- mental health is is obviously a, a big discussion today. But in two thousand and one, it wasn't really as much, um, yeah. wasn't really as much talked about. And I think the best way that I can describe all of the characters in this game is that they're all disturbed. They've all got a trauma that is still. I'd use the word fractured. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good word. Um, it's yeah, it, it's a very dark game, and when you compare it to Celeste, Celeste is one of my favorite, um, not one of my favorite games that we've covered, but one of my favorite episodes that we've done. And I think for a, a game to to come through and, and deal with some very, very, very dark um, themes, and to handle it well for a a game that that is Japanese. Which you know, it was a complete. Well, Japan's a completely different culture from us, um, and you know, I, I know that the culture in Japan is very much a. Um, well, it's always been seen as you kind of get on with it and you do your job and you you just move forward. So, a a game coming from Japan, and b a game coming from Japan in two thousand and one when, like I say, mental health and all that kind of thing wasn't really talked about. It was swept under the rug. I think is is something worth noting. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we, we've talked a bit about the theme, the world, and the characters and the plots. Um, hopefully, we've given you a, a bit of an entrance into kind of what Silent Hill is. Um, so, what do you actually do in this game? Uh, it's, it's it's a third person puzzle action game, I suppose. Um, and the gameplay is really where. As you knew it would be, the gameplay is where my gripes with this game come in. Um, same as what it was with both of the Resident Evil games that we've played. Um, so yeah, the, the game is effectively you journeying through Silent Hill, going to an area, solving a few puzzles, you know, maybe taking out a few enemies, and then moving on to the next area to, to, to make the story progress. It isn't deep in terms of the gameplay. Um and I, I played the game with puzzles on, on easy because A, I was very ill when I played it so I didn't have too much attention um, to spare and B, 
I just kind of wanted to get through it. Um, but yeah, th- this is primarily a, a puzzle action thing, third person. I, I wouldn't really know how to explain it better than that. It's a it's a survival horror. It's a classic survival horror. Um, so yeah, you've got that's your puzzles, a good word to use. Your, <laughs> you've got your um your your combat. Often you'll spend time running away. You'll be collecting resources. Um, as you mentioned, as you raise the difficulty, the puzzles change. So actually, you can you can see a completely different form of a puzzle um, on higher difficulties, and I think that's quite an interesting concept. Um, so yeah, so so that's let, let's let's run straight into our ever-present feature: gameplay is king. Now is. <laughs> Is Silent Hill 2 fun to play? No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, j- just from talking about the story and the, and the, the themes, uh, you can tell this is a very bleak game. Um, but no, uh, this is this is another game, same as um, Resident Evil, that I don't know if it was you know just a vibe that Capcom and, and uh, Konami had at the time, but I really struggled with the camera in this game. Um and that's, you know, the way a lot of, of particularly Japanese games were at the time. But the camera, I hated it. And the tank controls, I hated it. So I would answer the question, of is this game fun to play? Not really. Um, maybe even not at all. But that doesn't mean it's a bad game, if that makes sense. What do you think? I don't think fun is the right word, and we'll probably get back to that a bit later i tolerated um, it i think <laughs> i think it's uh compelling to play i got into the gameplay rhythm of what you end up doing is you end up kind of searching rooms looting rooms ticking them off on your map um and really trying to um to place the map in your mind to work out where you've been to work out where you need to go, where that missing item that you need for a puzzle might be. Um, that's what I think. where I think the satisfaction in this game lies. The combat itself, I'd agree with you. I think it's quite basic. Um, I think by design, but I also think you can't just hand wave any issues that it's got away with that phrase. Um, so, so James is deliberately a much less physically capable character. He's an everyman, isn't he? Harry Mason in um, Silent Hill 1. So you've really got this everyman who is in this situation that you can't even really fathom doing his best to survive um, gradually. So you start off with melee weapons. Gradually you unlock um, handgun, shotgun, rifle. And it's, as I say, basic, but I think that serves it well. Um, But at the same time, I think... could have had a few more layers maybe um a few more weapons um i don't know i don't know how they would um expand it but i think it could have been expanded well um, you, you Resi- I, I guess you'll see when the remake comes out yeah it depends how i suppose true to the original the remake mm. is so resi 4 um is also a survival horror but i felt like there were a lot more layers to that gameplay than this but then that game has a different emphasis to this. Yeah, um, Resi 4 is a lot more action orientated, isn't it, really? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot more game in there, I'd say, whereas here yeah. you do spend a lot of time running and um, 
recreating the maps in your mind and working out where you are and where you need to go and um, it, it's made confusing by the fact that the environments do look very similar to each other you'll you'll have your fill of certain environments by the end of it like apartment blocks yeah hospitals um, some of them are really strong and, and we may touch on that a bit later but um, yeah it, it's not fun it is compelling though and I really did get into that gameplay loop I also played um, the the additional story which is um, playing as Maria before she meets James that was also quite a good um, that was about an hour's worth of gameplay and a nice little slice of um, more Silent Hill 2 so I'd recommend that for any fans of the game as well I'm sure you've probably played it already um, so do you have a favourite bit in terms of the gameplay um, not really um like, like we say, the combat's quite janky because it isn't the emphasis. Um, I mean, the puzzles are okay. Some of them are a bit frustrating, even when you're playing it on easy because, you know, I'm a soft-brained idiot. But I I don't know. There was nothing really that, that st- struck out at me. And I, I've said in, in episodes before, we've, we've done, God knows, 90-something episodes now, haven't we? And I've mentioned it quite a few times that for me... I'm always more drawn to a good story than gameplay, but I've realised in playing this game that there has to be um, a level of gameplay that I enjoy to make it through a game. Um, and like, I, I finished this game, you know, I got through it, but there's nothing that I can point to and be like, that was my favourite element of playing Silent Hill because it was just a bit of a tedious slog. Um, and again, that doesn't make it a bad game. Um, I'm sure there are people that would hear feedback like that and and think that I'm mental for saying it, but I don't know. Um, There was nothing that stood out for me, really. What about you? That's an interesting realisation to come to. Um, And, yeah, you've said many times that that story is your emphasis and obviously... This is a good story. Yeah, and, and to realise that you also need that bit of gameplay to make it work that yeah. that suits you. I mean, we're all, in a way, trying to figure out why we like the games that we like mm. and what uh, draws us to those games. And this, this um, running through this list has been a... I think it's been a journey for both of us in terms of that. There have been games that have surprised us and yeah. games that have gone up and down in our estimations. And I'm sure that will continue on as we um, hit the end of the list and then we've got our own games that we are um, recommending for the list afterwards. So um, I think it's quite an empowering moment in this game when you get the gun. Um, obviously, your your ammo is limited, mm. and your your tendency is probably to start shooting things, but then you realise that your ammo is limited. But by the end of the game, um, you manage to amass quite a stockpile of ammo, and once you unlock the rifle that's for me easily the most satisfying gun in the game and you can really make the last boss a bit of a breeze um, using the rifle as long as you keep your distance um, just keep wailing away with that rifle if you've got sufficient ammunition so that was quite satisfying for me and I think the pacing of the game um, not giving you a gun straight away uh, was a clever thing yeah I think that's important Resident Evil 4 they 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 give you a gun yep straight immediately off. yeah and then I, so, I and then i lose my temper because i die 20 times in a row and send you very long voice notes swearing because i hated the start of that game so much 
there's there's um, yeah, quite a few games that covers in, in the list so far. I think yeah, probably, yeah, I'd say so. Um, okay, so let's talk about an interesting thing. I think this is going to be an interesting conversation. Let's talk about the audio and the visuals. Let's start off with the audio. So, do you want to give a bit of um, an opinion about the audio for yourself? The word I'd use for the audio in this game is it's very oppressive. The the soundtrack from from watching a few videos on this game and obviously having played it through, the soundtrack is standout and a lot of people say even now that it's one of their favourite soundtracks. Um, I adore the soundtrack. It is very good. Um, I wouldn't put it up there with you know any any of my favourites that we've played on the list, but it was very good and it was very suitable for the kind of game that this is. Um, the the sound effects themselves are quite creepy. You, you know, you've got um, these weird monsters around that, you know, as well as, you know, just flashing across the screen sometimes or running around will make these weird noises occasionally. And, you know, the, the noises that come with Pyramid Head. The best word I can use is oppressive, and I don't really know how to explain it further than that. If you know what I mean, then you know there is just something about this music and this this soundscape that stresses me out, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, as I said, I think the soundtrack itself, the music, um, is some of the best you'll ever hear. I remember, I didn't mention this when we were talking about um, history of the game, I remember viewing the trailer for this game maybe back in 2002 and I watched that trailer so many times. I said to you in the lead up to this episode, I think it's probably my favourite trailer ever. I think it's absolutely on point in terms of direction, in terms of the music, in terms of making you want to play that game. Mm. And I think, yeah, it's it's the combination of the guitars and, and the... The sadness to the songs, but also kind of how they ramp up. It's just very well done, and you get some some music. The, the, the section that when uh, when Maria first dies and you're in the hospital, and you've got the um, very slow piano music playing, and it just keeps playing until you finally leave the hospital, mm. and it's this moment of calm because you know you're done fighting for a little while. Um, but also it's obviously James's mental state having just lost Maria or thinking he's lost Maria. And yeah, it's this very strange feeling that you get from it. The music in this game, the sound effects in this game are, uh, they have the ability to unsettle you. And there are certain corridors that I can just picture in my mind where a random... Um, piece of um, audio would play and at the time it makes you just stop you just stop moving because you want to see what on earth that is because usually when you hear something it means something's there there's um it's in one of the prison cell corridors there's like this there's this voice that you can hear as you run down that corridor and it's horrible (laughs) That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. And you look around, you're looking in all the cells for what on earth is making this noise, but you never find it. And um, there's another one with crying in one of the, um, in the Overlook, uh, not the Overlook Hotel, that's from The Shining, um, the Lakes, Lake, Lakeview Hotel. Um, that was, a, that was a, a Freudian slip because 
the Lakeview Hotel heavily reminds me of the Overlook Hotel from The Shining, and I love that setting because of it. Um, yeah, so the, the, the sound is just on point. I don't think they could do much to improve the sound in this game. It's very industrial. It feels very unique. Um, industrial is a good word for it. Yeah, and the Silent Hill Otherworld has always had that industrial... Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at Pyramid Head, it's a very weird humanoid industrial thing. Um, it's it's a, Yeah, I think the sound is best in class. And the visuals, um, what, what do you think about the visuals? I mean, I, I, I think that the game that we played is a lot crisper than what it was meant to look like. Um, this a lot is cleaner. Yeah, this this is the kind of game. Um, there, there, there's a YouTube channel called Ninety Eight D Make, which um, recreates games like modern games like I don't know Bloodborne and, and remakes them as if they looked like they were supposed to look on the PS One. And I think with this game and you know with Silent Hill One as an example, they are made creepy and they're made oppressive by the the graphics by the fact that they couldn't look better than what they look like. Uh, and that's something I found creepy about, I don't know, like Psycho Mantis in Metal Gear Solid 1, that you couldn't really make out his features and you couldn't really make out his face. And this is a PS2 game, so obviously the graphics were a lot better and the version we played it makes it even better than that. Um, but this this is a good-looking game. Um Again, I can't comment on what the PS2 version looks like because I didn't play it, but it, it looks a lot more grainy than the version that I played, which I think is right for a game like this. That There's supposed to be some mystery. And obviously, the the fog that is in the game, which, which is a, a comeback from Silent Hill 1, it was originally put in, wasn't it, because uh, the draw distance. They, they just yeah. They couldn't really do anything with the draw distance, but it's kind of just stuck. And I don't know if it's the same as Silent Hill 3 or 4 or whatever, if, the, if there's that fog. But it's a staple yeah, of the series. Yeah, it seems like it's a staple of the series. Um, and the fact that it's so grainy and so dank and just meh, it adds to the atmosphere. And that's a game that this... That's a that's something, sorry, that this game is thick in. It's very thick in atmosphere. Yeah. It, it was a, a good generational leap between Silent Hill 1 and 2 uh, the jump hmm. between them is 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 nice it's a, it's a good amount and um but as you say it retained it's that idea we've discussed it before i can't remember what episode it was but we discussed the idea that um your imagination fills in the blanks yeah. if you're only given certain pieces of the puzzle correct um and this is a game that does that but yeah i, I do think the newer versions which make it shiny and polished and um, take away some of the the grime. Um, take away from that. So Silent it, Hill is a place. Go on, sorry. I was going to say Silent Hill is a place that, when you're there, when you're playing the game, and you see the boarded up windows, the creatures shambling around the streets, um, all the dirt, all the grime, the fog, you would never, ever, ever want to be there. Yet at the same time, you can imagine that this place was once a bustling holiday destination. That was probably quite nice. Mm. It's, um, I think that's not an easy thing to pull off, and they've pulled it off here. There's, um, there's some interesting things that. Well, there's some something interesting that I read about this, and something interesting that I noticed, and it's probably something that you already know. 
Um, but I don't know if when you play through the game, if you if you read Mary's letter at the start, obviously everything's all there and written. But yeah. did you find that as you progress through the game, the 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 writing starts to disappear? Yeah, and then by the end, it's gone. Just a blank letter. Yeah, yeah. That, that was something that I quite liked. But the other thing that I was going to mention was the team that made this game. Um, so Team Silent, who were put together to to make the first Silent Hill game, they were they were bad game designers, weren't they? Do you know much about the background of them? So I know so Silent Hill was put together as a response to Resident Evil. Yeah, and they kind of um, turned it on its head and uh, obviously made something different, but that retained those survival horror elements. And then Silent Hill 2 was a different team. Um, a lot of the key members of the original team Silent weren't there for Silent Hill 2, and I think it's got a different director. And they weren't sure what direction they were going to go in, and then they settled on um, this direction. And then obviously the series saw diminishing returns in terms of sales, and they reverted to the formula of Silent Hill 1 for Silent Hill 3. And then Silent Hill the 4, The Room... Um, wasn't even apparently supposed to be a Silent Hill game. It was supposed to be something else, and then they turned it into a Silent Hill game. So there's a there. If you look on YouTube, there's an absolute ton of stuff around the creation of Silent Hill because I think as a franchise, people want to find out more um, how this very dark, very mysterious world came to be. And there's a lot of videos that will cater to people who are intrigued by that. But uh, yeah, you might want you you might be elaborating more on what what I'm saying. Well, the 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 thing that I found interesting was that um, Team Silent were put together, and it was literally a ragtag group of very average, very middling game developers within Konami, um, and they were on the verge. I think they were on the verge of kind of axing quite a few of them, but they were like, right, okay, we're going to put you all together, and we want you to to make this game. Um, we wanted to make a horror game and it was a really dysfunctional group of people because you had people that would always show up late they'd miss deadlines you know they, they they weren't they weren't a good group and eventually apparently Konami got to a point where they were like oh you know what like we, we don't care just do what you want you know if you're making a game that's fine but we're not going to give you any more targets just you know give us whatever you're going to give us when it whenever it's done but we, we can't be asked with you anymore and when they were given that freedom, they they turned in Silent Hill One, which you know, like you said, it may not be as highly um, scored as Silent Hill Two, maybe, but it's still very highly regarded. And I just, I just thought it was an interesting little story. You know, you've you've got a, a group of people that weren't really considered good at anything, and then all of a sudden they they create this uh, this team that create one of the you know longest standing and p- potentially one of the best rated horror series of all time i just i just think it's interesting and worth a little mention it reminds me of um the story of rare when they were making goldeneye and how they had no experience mm. they didn't know what they were doing and then they they released... made goldeneye <laughs> yeah they made goldeneye somehow made goldeneye i mean it's one of those things that never happens, but occasionally, very occasionally, it does. Lightning in a bottle. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so 
that's that's the audio and the visuals. Um, okay, on to the question of the week. So this is, um, I think it's probably going to be more of a discussion than a particular question. And it, and it kind of stems from our gameplay is king section where we ask, is a game fun? Yeah. So the question of the week is, does a game need to be fun to play? Um, or does it depend on what it's trying to achieve? And are, are there any examples of games that to you are not fun to play, but they completely achieve what they're trying to? Um, yeah. So um, how about it? Well, I feel I'm, I might have accidentally touched on this when talking about me liking you know story-heavy games, but realising when playing this that I do need good gameplay as well. And I think, yeah, it does depend on what you're trying to achieve. You know, there are games out there that... Um, there's a game that I played on Xbox a few months ago. Something noir, I can't remember. But the gameplay in that wasn't particularly interesting, but it was still a good game. And I think... I don't know. I really don't know how to answer that question. Gameplay, I think, is very important and... Particularly nowadays, more people are, are drawn to good gameplay than anything else, which is fair enough. You don't want a game to waste your time. But at the same time, I think as long as the expectations are set at the start or, or when the game's released or when it's you know revealed, I think it's fine for it to not have a strong emphasis on gameplay as long as people know that and they know what they're getting into and they're not being misled, you know? I'm going to go back to a game um, that we, we talked about earlier in this episode, funnily enough, Celeste. Um, I like Celeste. I think it's a great game. It's not always fun to play. It's not always fun... Frustrating. When, yeah, it can be very frustrating in certain areas. And that game is about... I mean, I, I'd say that the, the whole point of that game is about overcoming adversity. Yeah. But in order to overcome adversity, you've got to have that adversity in the game. And by having these challenging um, platforming segments, that's how they create the adversity. So I, th I think it's what you set out to achieve. For example, some people, many people aren't going to find a horror, a pure horror game fun because... Stressful. That's... Yeah, that's not what it's trying to do. It's trying to scare you. It's trying to unsettle you. I remember um, before the first Dead Space came out, they said what horror games do is they settle into a rhythm. And what they were trying to do with Dead Space was they were trying to upend that rhythm, try to trying to distort it as you went along so that you had it, but you kind of turned it on its head. I don't think they fully achieved it. I think that, that game does settle into a rhythm and what you find is with most horror that you get used to what the game is throwing at you one thing i will say about silent hill 2 is that i never got used to it 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 always puts you in these unpleasant environments always it does has enough, your edge yeah it does enough to keep you even as i said the the, the lakeview hotel um it's it's a, a fantastic setting aesthetically, and one of the one of the things this game does really well is the art style. Um, but when you've got the enemies in 
um, in, in the hotel, there were certain areas that I knew had enemies in them. And I thought I can either go in there and clear them out and then I won't have to deal with them or I can just avoid them. Eventually I did go in there and clear them out, but you have to kind of psych yourself up to do it. And this game is very much that you never get comfortable with the enemies because they're not so frequent that it becomes routine. And yeah. And they're best avoided really as well, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I mean, especially on the streets. I mean, if you, if you, if you kill all the enemies on the streets, number one, you'll have no ammo left. Number two, um, yeah, I just, I just don't think that's what they intended. I think you're supposed to avoid quite a few of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- this is not a game that I think was designed to be fun, and I think it would have been. Um, so we, I'm sure we talked about ludo narrative dissonance before, um, which is that that thing people talked about Tomb Raider, the Tomb Raider uh, re- reboot, mm. and how. Lara Croft was this sympathetic character that had never killed anyone and then she kills the first person and then half an hour later you've killed everyone people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's Ludo Narrative Dissonance. The the story goes against the game and it's the same with Uncharted. In, in Uncharted you've got these characters that are charming and and tell jokes, but if you think about what you're doing on a gameplay level, you are massacring Kill everyone. an island full of people. Yeah. So that's Ludo Narrative Dissonance. And Silent Hill 2 is not a ludonarrative dissonant game. It's a game where the gameplay entirely serves the story it's trying to tell. And it's an interesting conversation and it's one that we're going to come back to because I could never describe... I I go on about Manhunt probably far too much, but I've been thinking about it again recently. Um... I can never describe Manhunt as a, a fun-to-play game. I think it's utterly compelling, and we'll go into the reasons for that when I um, recommend that game for the list later on in the in the podcast lifespan. But it's not a fun game. No. And it's not meant to be a fun game. You're not meant to be thinking, oh, this is, this is so much fun. Um, so yeah, it just got me thinking about that, and I was reading about another game. Uh, uh, it was an uh, it was a visual novel, and lots of people disca- described it as utterly disgusting, and unpleasant. And the vast majority of people won't enjoy it. And I decided not to play it, um, but there is a small sub- subsection of people that that want to experience that. And it just yeah. got me thinking about when you're trying to evoke a certain emotion that is not happiness, joy, enjoyment, fun, entertainment, but you're trying to evoke fear or um, you're trying to say something about mental health or whatever it is, sometimes you can deviate from that formula. And although we'll probably continue using gameplay as king, is the game fun as a question, I think my conclusion is that a game doesn't always have to be fun. And that's a bit of growth right there, I think, for, for the podcast. No, that's fair. Out of um, out of interest, what ending did you get? I got the, I think it's called In Water yeah. ending. The one so where... the ending where... suicide. Yeah, and basically the reason you get that ending is because you... Your, your character is James sees too much blood and I probably fought too many enemies well I probably 
I've, I've looked up how you get each ending because um, I, I, I got a different ending to you. So the way that you get the in water ending is if you keep your health low, if James is injured, do not heal him immediately. Yeah. Check Angela's knife. Read the patient's diary in Brookhaven's roof and and the second message to James in Neely's bar. And in the Lakeview Hotel, listen to the headphones and the hallway conversation. Whereas the ending I got, I got the um I got the other one where The Leave ending. The leave. Um, yeah, I think I've got that before. Yeah, and to get that one, you have to keep your health high, heal frequently, check Mary's photo and letter, don't spend too much time with Maria, and in the hotel, listen to the headphones and the hallway conversation. Um, but there is a third ending called Maria, um, and yeah, that which is basically if you spend you loads of time with her. Maria and you know protect her and stuff. Um, you've then got an ending called Rebirth, which have you have you got all the endings before? Um, I've definitely got the two what are considered good endings, yeah. which are leave and in water. But I I know that the rebirth ending, I think you can't get it on your first playthrough. No, I think you have to do it on subsequent playthroughs. Yeah, second playthrough. Um, he rows a boat with uh, Mary's body to the church um, to resurrect her, and then you've got the UFO ending, which um, basically. James gets um he gets abducted by UFOs um and Harry Mason for some reason. Um and yeah, then I remember seeing footage of that ending. Yeah, and then you've uh, the dog. you've got the dog ending, which is obviously the best ending. Uh where <laughs> James walks into a room and discovers a dog behind a computer and he realizes that the dog's been controlling all of the events that have happened. Um and then the dog licks him and then the credits roll. <laughs> I think um, it's a really good way of um, doing your endings because it's not in a linear fashion. It's mm. not, here's a decision. You can either choose option A or option B. Yeah. It's dictated by your gameplay style. I've played a lot of survival horror games and my tendency is always to keep as many resources as I can and not heal until I absolutely have to. Yeah. Because... It's, it's balancing saving your game with um, how often you want to heal and then using your healing items at the right time. And by the end of the game, I had far too many healing items. Because um, this game is actually quite generous with its resources. It is. So, whereas in something like Resident Evil, that, that style works for me. But here, yeah, I was rewarded with James killing himself. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> what a wonderful ending. Um, mm. Okay, so... <laughs> Let's let's wrap this up. Oh, did you get? Um, have you ever seen the Mr. Blobby ending? By the way, that is the ending past the dog. You have to get all the endings That's and right. then complete it sixteen times. That's right. And yeah, and then you unlock Noel Edmonds as a playable character. That's right. There's our uh, there's our usual Mr. Blobby inserts. Um, so yes, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so normally we would say. Um, this game is placed at this point on the list. Does it deserve its place on the list? I'm obviously going to change that question and we're going to ask, does Silent Hill 2, given the games that we have also played on the list, mm. does it deserve its place? Does it deserve to be on the list? Um, oh, it's hard. I don't know how to answer that because from a story perspective, yes, but from a gameplay perspective, absolutely no way. But we have to look at it as a 
as a whole thing, but I've got one thing where I'm like, 50% of this is fantastic, and the other part of it is 50% of it is bad. So I'm kind of... I don't in... mean to sway your vote, but... Go on. Code Veronica is on this list. Well, yeah, if, if you compare it to Code Veronica, then this should be on it above Code Veronica, because that was awful. Um, I hated that game so much, so much. Oh my God, I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. Um, so over Code Veronica, yes. Yes, we'll replace them. Yes, it does. Yes, yes, yes. I hate Code Veronica. I hate it. You'll go, God, I hate it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I want to talk about a moment in the game that I think just sums up some of the brilliance of this game. Um, was it when you realised that you You're weren't the... playing Code Veronica and therefore it was brilliant? <laughs> uh, I was not the hugest fan of Code Veronica either, and I'm quite, yes. quite a decent fan of the Resi series. Um, so you're in the apartments early on, and there's a prompt that comes up on screen where James says something to himself. He says, oh, I think I heard something north of here. And you head up a corridor, and the lighting is red. There is a barred um, sort of door, and on the other side of it is just Pyramid Head just standing there and that was one of the moments I had to stop because to me in any other game Pyramid Head would attack you there would be a jump scare Yeah, but no Pyramid Head is just standing there and Pyramid Head stays standing there and your question is what is it doing what is it doing and what does it mean for me and if I go through this door, is something going to happen? That is the genius of this game. It doesn't end in the jump scare. And this game doesn't really jump scare you at all. No. Um, it creates this feeling of dread. Because that moment right there makes you feel like you're, you're always being watched. There is nothing scarier in a horror game to think that you're always being watched. Mm. Um, so that's part of the genius of this game. I think it, considering some of the other games that we've played on this list... I think it absolutely deserves to be there. Um, I love the stuff with Angela, and there's there's a line that she says, and so you you see the fire that she's seeing for the first time, and she says something along the lines of, um, "This is this is how the world always looks for me," and then she walks up the stairs, and it's that that final uh, few hours of the game where you go to the hotel and you see Angela and you, you you fight what represents her father and it's when everything sort of clicks together and you think okay this is um something special and it's when also the world starts to deteriorate and you see um the hotel like um basically deteriorating in front of your eyes so that so that james's world is water this water coming down and destroying things and um maybe water is not the best way to describe it but anyway it's it's a it's a different um sort of distortion than angela sees and that's when it just struck me that although there are certain things that I i think are bad the camera is bad i do i don't i don't like the camera um yeah it is bad and and I think it doesn't it, it it doesn't adapt to you and it doesn't you you can frequently get hit off screen and stuff like that and it's really hard to manage but I 
think a lot of what this game does is deliberate and because of that because there seems to be such a clear vision of the story that they wanted to tell uh, yeah I, th I think it's um, quite astounding and I don't think many games get to that level so for me it absolutely deserves to be there because I, I do believe and, and I did believe this beforehand although we have the gameplay as king section it's, it's a way to kind of break down and analyse a game but I do believe that games don't just have to be about gameplay and that, it, that you can I think it's about an experience it's about creating an experience for the player that they are able to take something away from it and maybe they will remember it maybe they'll it's like that moment you talked about in um, uh, the game with the mirror after everything it's still just me Undertale what was that yes it's that moment in Undertale that you said really spoke to you mm. that's what games are trying to do surely they're trying to speak to you on a level on a wavelength that is just resonates with you and that is the experience of a game and I think games that can kind of reach that level and speak to you on that level then there's something there um, the, the, there was a video that I watched um, before we recorded this um, oh Blimey, what's it called? It's it's like quite a famous um, YouTuber, and let me see if I can just find who it was again because he's, he's well known. Uh, I don't know, um, Bungie maybe or something. I can't remember. Um, no, Yahtzee, Yahtzee, that's it. And he heard the name. Yeah, you, you'll, you'll have seen some of his videos. He used to do like animated um, game reviews. He was a man with a little fedora hat on. It was all in yellow. Um, but he, he said something about this game, which I thought was quite interesting. And he said that this game is, is very highly regarded. And, you know, he, he loves video games, despite all of the, you know, the, the, the AAA military quick time eventy games he goes i like games in despite of that and when i whenever i get jaded with things i think about silent hill 2 and um he was like if i was batman silent hill 2 would be my dead parents is the thing that keeps me going <laughs> i thought it was quite a nice little um quite quite a nice little statement about it i guess because this game is very special to a lot of people and it does touch on quite a lot of interesting and and deep themes and although this wasn't particularly a game for me. I I did appreciate what it was and the story that it told and how it told it. And I think I'd be interested to play the remake as and when as yeah. and when it does come out, um, even though we don't really like Konami anymore. Um, I, I'd be interested to see what it's like. My friend um, James, who um, I know occasionally listens to the podcast, he, it, this is his favourite game, um, Silent Hill 2. And I know he's got a, a tattoo of Silent Hill 2. Um, so yeah, lots of people really, really do love this game. And I, I can understand it. I think this is sort of um, analysis gathered over many, many years. If a game's got heart, if a game... I, I don't know how to define that. Um, if a game... I don't know. I don't know, how, I don't know how to define that, but... <laughs> I've just backed myself into a corner. So you're stuck there now. Games that have heart, games that they can be janky as anything. The, the gameplay can be full of holes, but if they have something to say, 
and they are not ashamed to say it that will win me over every time yeah it's why i like deadly premonition one of the jankiest games ever that probably got a meta score of 68 or something um it's a great game and, and that's why i love the original near which many people said lack polish but i think it's amazing because it's got something to say and it's not ashamed to say it that wins me over every single time above everything else mm. um <laughs> i feel i feel like it's been quite a, a, a gushing um sort of praising episode you like yeah, this game don't you <laughs> yeah it's, it's a good game and it's, it's it's not one of my favorite games ever but i i genuinely think it is probably one of the best games ever mm. um so yeah i disagree let's, let's but i enjoyed it yeah mostly it's fine yeah that's fine i mean each to their own isn't it yes um okay so that, that's the end of silent hill 2 um obviously we hope that given the couple of weeks delay we hope that it was worth it and for fans of silent hill 2 um we hope that we've done the game justice for you mm-hmm. um so what have we got coming up on the podcast so we've got um as we mentioned at the start of the episode we, we've still got a busy few weeks coming up with you still moving into your house and me about to complete on buying a house and then having to do all of the stuff you need to do to a house to make it more livable than what it currently looks like so what we are going to be doing is next week we will be giving you an episode on civilization four which follows yeah. on from our episode on civilization i think it was two we played before wasn't it um yeah as you can tell it was very memorable um so we've got that coming up and then we'll probably be off for a couple of weeks whilst we're getting our lives in order so that we can get back to some form of normality for the end of November, early December. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll probably run with a bit more regularity then, but we'll also reveal the game that we're going to come back with um, after those couple of weeks. We'll obviously set a date probably um, next week in the Civilization episode. So the game after that we'll be doing is The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. And you've got your challenge to um, complete every Zelda game on the list which you've you've been doing strongly so far it's that Zelda um, game what's got the wolf in isn't it yeah thir- this is about 30 to 40 hours apparently to complete this game I didn't realise it was that long deep joy <laughs> <laughs> I really like Twilight Princess but yeah we'll, we'll be coming back with that one we'll see but yeah so um, that's that, that, those are our movements for the next couple of weeks but yes as usual, you can get to us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, unless Elon Musk has bombed Twitter into the ground by by which point. Um, or cancelled our Twitter. Or cancelled our Twitter for not getting a blue tick and not paying £8 for a month mo- for it. For mocking him. For mocking him and changing our name, our name to Elon Musk. He's the worst yeah. person in the world. Oh, God. Anyway, um, or you can email us at the long and short of it podcast at hotmail.com. Um and yeah anything else from you no that's it from me lovely okay well we will see you next week for civilization four and in the meantime take care cheerio see you on the next one